So last week, I encouraged people to send a note to the Elizabeth in their life, the person who had been an encourager and a supporter. And I was thrilled to get a note from uh, Christina uh, Gutierrez, who was here last week, and she said, oh, I was able to reach out to one of my coworkers who's always been there for me. She was my go-to person and encourager, so I sent her a note, and it meant the world to her. I'm wondering if anybody else has a report. You do? Did you do that? Okay. Yes. Tell us about it. So I called my aunt. She's my mom's youngest sister, and I've always, always looked up to her and always gone to her for advice, especially when dealing with really difficult situations. And she was having a bad day that day. And I just oh. said, you know, I was sitting at church, and here's what happened. And so you're the Elizabeth in my life. And she was just overjoyed, awesome. and it just made her day. Awesome. That's so cool. Anybody else? you got to pay attention to the sermon. Do what the pastor tells you. Okay. So um, there's still time to do that. You can do it. And if you want to do it, uh, you should. It's a good thing. Um, I'm going to read what I sent <clears throat> to my sister, my older sister. Dear Lori, the sermon last Sunday was about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her cousin Elizabeth. The focus was on the re relationship between the two women and how Elizabeth was the go-to person for Mary when she was in a crisis mode and needed an emotional support, when she needed a harbor and a refuge. The preacher encouraged the congregation to contact the Elizabeth in their life and let them know how much they are appreciated. Since I was the preacher that day, I guess this falls under the practice what you preach column. So here I am writing you. Throughout my growing up years, you were the one person I knew who had my back. When my friend Suzanne died in 1992 and I found out my best friend David was diagnosed with AIDS, I went to you and your home was a refuge for me. When I was going through my divorce in 2009, you were the person I went to. You have always been there for me. You have always been my go-to person, so thank you. I love you so much and appreciate you like crazy. Thank you for being who you are and doing what you do. I pray God's best for you now and always. Thank you, Lori, from your dorky brother. <laughs> so I encourage you to write a note like that and do something like that to the person because you never know who you're gonna connect with and who might be having a bad day and will really appreciate that. Uh, last week we talked about Mary who came, went, uh, once she found out she was pregnant, she went and she visited Elizabeth uh, who was six months pregnant herself and when Mary first arrived, Elizabeth exclaimed and said, oh, the baby inside of me just leapt for joy because you are here. Blessed are you. And she gave this uh, blessing to Elizabeth, and, or to Mary, and this blessing to uh, the fruit of Mary's womb. And Mary responded by reciting the hymn or the song that Scott just read for us, what we know as the Magnificat, which is the Latin word for magnifies. Um, it's also known as the Song of Mary or the Canticle of Mary. Uh, and for you Greek lovers out there, it is the Ode to Theotokos, which means the Mother of God. Um, see, I do that just, just for Tom Short, just to make him smile. Oh, okay, he threw a little Greek in there. Um, 
The Magnificat echoes the song of Hannah, who was old at her age and had never had a child, and she was upset. She was the one that prayed before leave, uh, Eli, and Eli thought she was drunk. And, and she said, no, I want a baby. I've never had a baby, and I'm already past the years of having babies, and I'm just praying to God that he'll answer my prayer. And after she gave birth to her son Samuel, she sang a song. And the song is very close to the song of Mary, the Magnificat. So let me discuss the structure of this carol, or this um, song that we've just heard. First, Mary rejoices that she has the privilege of, to bear the Messiah. She's excited. She's thrilled. Yes, she's scared. Yes, she's nervous. All of those things. But what a privilege to do that. Secondly, she gives glory to God. She glorifies God for his power, for his holiness, for his mercy. And third, she looks forward to how God will transform the world uh, through his justice by first humbling the proud and then lifting up the humble. I love that. <laughs> humbling the proud and lifting up the humble. And uh, next, by feeding the hungry and sending the rich empty away. And finally, Mary exalts God because of his faithfulness to his promise to Abraham. When he promised to Abraham that he would save all nations through Abraham's seed, and so here it is that this is happening. Mary remained with Elizabeth for three months. Scripture doesn't give us any account of what that was like, but our Advent devotional that we've been going through, I Am Mary, uh, gives some ideas of what it might have been like, and Allison is going to read the passage for today. I thought about how I had lost my patience much too easily, and I constantly swallowed my tears. It didn't matter whether someone said something cruel or something generous. I wanted to cry either way. Besides that, my body was swollen and painful. I wasn't able to sleep on my stomach any longer. Cramps seemed to come out of nowhere. Headaches overwhelmed me, and then they gave up to the persistent need to vomit. Then, an undeniable scent of orange blossoms and fruit wafted into my room. I opened my eyes and saw that nothing had changed. I wondered about that smell until I realized that it was divine. Holding life inside me filled me with gratitude. Just as my sense of smell had gotten stronger, my belly had swollen, my face had become rounder, and my emotions had become sharper. So too, my soul had enlarged and that skin-prinkling sense of God kept magnifying. That glow kept magnifying. How many times have we said that when somebody is pregnant, when a woman is pregnant, we say, oh, you have that glow about you, right? It's just a natural thing. And the fact that Mary begins her song with, my soul magnifies the Lord. This light or this glow uh, is a powerful image throughout scripture, we know. When he confronted Job, God said, what is the way to the abode of life or light? So God is saying, I dwell in light. Um, so what's the way to it, Job? You sound so cocky in your responses to, my, to your trials. Let me ask you, how do you get to the way of light? 
Only I am able to do that. At the beginning, at the dawn of time, the first words of scripture, the first words of God are, let there be light, right? It wasn't until the fourth day that the sun, moon, and stars were created according to our tradition. So light existed before the sun, moon, and stars. And the light is symbolic throughout scripture as well. <clears throat> Psalm 139 reminds us that even the dark is as light to God. Darkness cannot hide God. God is light, right? David wrote, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Light is a powerful image and uh, oftentimes it is tied to salvation. God's word is a light to our feet and a lamp unto our path. Uh, this Psalm 119 echoes what uh, the people of Israel experienced in the wilderness, a, uh, a pillar of light led them at night during the wilderness times, right? Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will be the light of the nations. And another point, he says, arise, your light has come. Again, this idea of light. Now, I want to be cautionary here. In our modern society, in our modern culture, we've kind of gotten into this idea that we all have this light inside of us and we just need to discover this light. And it's kind of this metaphysical energy type of thing. And uh, we just, once we discover it, then we'll find out who we truly are. And in fact, George Lucas tapped into this in his whole idea of the force. Um, the force is described in this way, some kind of energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. And in fact, Maz Kanada in The Force Awakens says, close your eyes, feel it, the light. It's always been there. It will guide you. So there's this kind of new age philosophy. It's nothing new. It goes all the way back to the time of Jesus. They called it Gnosticism. And it's what the Gospel of John is writing against, Gnosticism, that we all have this light inside of us. We just need to find it. And once we do, we'll be enlightened. But followers of Jesus Christ give the light a name. That name is Jesus Christ. John, at the beginning of his Gospel, says, In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. And Jesus himself said, I am the light. Now, to the Jewish leaders at the time, when he said that, they were shocked because they had read the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, their scriptures of the day, and they knew what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It's one of his I am statements. But he goes on and says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in Matthew, Jesus tells his followers, you are the light of the world. So how do we respond to that light? When we receive Jesus Christ, that light enters into our lives. That light is in us, and that light shines in us, and that light shines through us. It's that old story of the little girl talking to her dad and says, Dad, is it true that God is bigger than the universe? Yes, it's true. Is it true when I accept Jesus Christ, God enters into my life? Yes, it's true. Well, if God is in my life and he's so big, shouldn't he show a little bit? <laughs> right? So God, God's light shines in us, but also God's light shines 
through us. Now we can handle that light in three different ways. We can show the light, we can reflect the light, or we can magnify the light. Mary chose wisely. Mary chose to magnify the light. And of course, remember what I said the first Sunday of Advent, Mary represents humankind. Mary takes Christ into herself, she nurtures that relationship with Christ, and then she bears Christ into the world. And we are to do the same thing. We don't just accept Jesus Christ into our lives and say, I'm done. No, we accept Jesus Christ into our lives. We nurture that relationship, and that's called discipleship, growing in our faith, and then we bear Christ into the world. And that's what we're called to do. So how do we do that? I'm going to offer three steps. First, we're called to be counterculture. We're called to be counterculture. This culture is a pretty tough culture. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of uh, anger. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of confusion. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. What? No grumbling or disputing? Obviously, the Apostle Paul wasn't on Facebook. <laughs> Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in a crooked and twisted generation. Thank God that was 2,000 years ago. It's not like this, that anymore. I love what he says. In the midst of a twisted and uh, crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So among this darkness of the world, among all of the craziness, among all the hatred and anger, we're supposed to be walking around like lights in the world, shining God's light. How? Paul says this, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day that of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul also writes in Romans 13, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So it's an active thing. We, can't, we don't just sit there and go, okay, I've received the light and I'm done. No, we put it on, we take it on. Um, while the world seeks to gratify itself with sensual pleasures and selfish gain, we are called to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We are meant to do everything for Christ's sake. And that's being counterculture. We're not about finding ourselves. We're about finding Jesus Christ. We're not about glorifying ourselves. We're about glorifying Jesus Christ. That goes against culture. Secondly, putting yourself out there, doing something and letting people see your good works. Not hiding behind the church walls. Oh, forgive us. We just come in and we have our little Christian gathering and we're here and we're safe and we're comfortable and the, the, furnace, the uh, heater's on a little, maybe too warm. And, uh, but Jesus said his followers are the light of the world and he told them, don't hide that light. Don't put it under a basket. Don't hide it under the bed. Don't hide it in the walls of the church. You're supposed to put that light out on a hill, hilltop so that people can see it. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Well, that kind of goes against that whole humility thing, right? Look at me, I'm doing good works, woo! 
He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. But then he goes on and says, so that they might give glory to your Father in heaven. A week ago, Tuesday, uh, our church was uh, awarded this award. It's called the Faith Builder Award by the Templo Calvario Community Development Corporation. Um, And so we were given this. It was pretty awesome. There was a lunch. Janice was there, and Betty was there, and um, and I said, when I got up to receive the award, I said, thank you, I deserve this award. <laughs> Why are you laughing so much? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, was, I talked about the work of the church here, but the, the interesting thing, when um, Le de Leon uh, was talking about the church, he said, I want to thank First Presbyterian Church, because decades ago, a lot of churches left the downtown area, but First Presbyterian Church stayed downtown. They made the choice to make a difference in the downtown area. And my response to that was, we recognize that if all the churches left the downtown area, where would the light of Christ be? We don't do this. We didn't stay here to glorify ourselves and say, look how great we are. We stayed here to exalt Jesus Christ and to lift him up and to be sure that the presence of Christ would be here. We are a light in a dark place. So we are being counterculture. We're putting ourselves out there. And thirdly, I've already begun talking about it, always pointing to the light source, Jesus Christ, always giving glory to God. As I said, Jesus said, let your light shine before humankind so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our desire is to bring glory to God, the Father in heaven. We're not called to glorify ourselves. We don't need to give ourselves pats on the back. We are always called to glorify God in heaven. In fact, that's what Jesus did constantly. He said, I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm here to glorify God in heaven. So our challenge, our challenge this week, besides writing a note to your Elizabeth, um, which is apparently makeup work, um, (laughs) the challenge is to live counter to culture, to put yourselves out there, lead other people to Jesus Christ, give glory to God, seek justice in the world, lift up the lowly, feed the hungry, Wherever you go, bring the light of Jesus Christ with you. Allow that light to shine in you and allow that light to shine through you. If pregnant women look, have a glow about them, people with the Spirit of God should have a glow about them as well. Share his peace, share his love, share his hope, share his joy. Let me finish with a poem by Howard Thurman titled The Work of Christmas. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, 
and to make music. <laughs> 